I'm going to ask you not to be seated. Just turn around and grab your Bibles. This week was obvious to me that the Lord would have us go in a direction. He has certainly continued to bolster this morning. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to read the entire nine verses, the entire narrative. What I am going to do is read about four verses just to establish some direction for us today. Here's what happens in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It says, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Why this waste? We don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. None of this passage of Scripture, if you understand the historical concept or the context in which it was given, makes sense. It's like they're looking through life or looking at life through this shattered screen. None of it makes sense. They're in the home of Simon the leper. They're awaiting the possible execution, which we know ultimately ends up happening of their Savior, Christ Jesus. The people are in the streets celebrating the coming Passover, hoping for a Messiah that will eventually come. But yet the Messiah has been there for 33 and a half years, and now he's reclined at the table. In walks this woman. None of this seems to make sense. The disciples are upset. This doesn't make sense that we're in this home at this time. Jesus is doing this, sitting at the table. Then she breaks open, shatters the alabaster jar, pours out the perfume all over Jesus, and they're saying this doesn't make sense. I don't know how many notes we'll have today, but I just want to preach to you from the heart. Is that okay? Look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of our conversation. Stop focusing on 87. Say it again. Stop focusing on 87. That doesn't make sense, but it will make sense in a few minutes. Oh, do I have a word from the Lord for you today? How many of you know sometimes God will give us a word that comforts us in our condition, but other times he'll give us a word that uses our condition to change our hearts? Sometimes he gives us not just a challenging word, but a changing word. Sometimes he uses the condition of our lives to influence the condition of our hearts. Somebody needs to hear this because the circumstances that you are going through is not the most important thing to God. However, it is important. It's not the most important thing to God because the most important thing to God is the condition of your heart. Mm. I need to just go on this on this vein for, for just a moment because it seems like for many of us we're holding our hands out to God wanting God to take care of this and to take care of that and to take care of this and to take care of that and God does take care of those things but many times God wants to see how we're going to reflect his goodness in the midst of those things how are we going to live during the times that don't make sense to us you see is our relationship with God 
better characterized as what we want God to do for us rather than what we are willing to allow God to do through us. You see, here's the thought that I need you to take today. And that is this. Are our lives a living illustration of sacrifice to God for all that he's already done for us? Grab hold of that. Are our lives a living illustration for God? To sacrifice, I should say. Based upon all of the things that God has already done for us. Or is our relationship better characterized by what we want from God rather than what we're willing to bring back to God? It's like an old mentor of mine said, you know, you cannot consider the doings of Christ's sacrifice once you consider all that Christ has already done for you. Sure. You see, we all want to be blessed, but, but yet we don't want to be a blessing. We all want to be served, but yet we don't want to serve. We all want to receive, but yet it's tough for us to give. We all want to be blessed on the job, but yet we haven't offered our job back to God. We all want restoration in our marriage, but yet we want sacrifice selfishness. We all want blessings in our finances, but yet we're not willing to tithe. Oh, no, he didn't. You see, there's something about sacrifice that I've, came to, uh, that I've come to understand this past week. And that is this, that sacrifice, God always requires sacrifice of us at a time when it does not make sense. And sacrifice is really just the proof of your faith. Hmm. Because sacrifice is really counterproductive sometimes to the position that we find ourselves in. If you think about it, it, it just doesn't make sense for God, the creator, to become the created by giving us his only son who places flesh upon himself. And the Bible says that he humbled himself in obedience to death, even unto death on the cross, in hopes that mankind would see the love that is in his heart so that he could bridge the gap between heaven and earth, overcome death, hell, and the grave in hopes that we might call upon his name and we shall be saved. Sometimes that it's an overwhelming thought that many times does not make sense. But here's something that you need to hear. If you're waiting for your faith to make sense, sacrifice will never be a part of your faith. Good Lord, that's good. If you're waiting on faith to make sense, sacrifice will never be a part of your faith. And therefore, your faith will never take you to the place that God intended for you to go. I need to get back to the narrative. I've gotten off for a few minutes, but I'm speaking to the nonsense that's in our lives that many of us cannot make sense of. And maybe you will never be able to make sense of it until your life becomes a living sacrifice to God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Just be seated, be seated. Carmen, I'm going to give you a break early today. Thank you. Let me take you back to the narrative and look at verse 3. I want you to see this. Look at your neighbor and say, stop focusing on 87. Thank you for turning my mic back on. Praise the Lord. It says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. 
while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. I just love how Jesus can be at a house party reclined at the table and how he can turn a house party into a classroom. He's so fly, he can turn the house party into a classroom. You know what I'm saying? I love to understand the context of the stories that are captured in the Gospels, but let me just be honest with you. This is a passage of Scripture that at times can be so difficult to comprehend because there's so many different nuances that are taking place in this narrative. Here, they're in the home of Simon the leper. That doesn't make sense. They're within a few hours, a few days at least, from the execution of their Savior. They're celebrating the Passover. The Passover is a time that they've been celebrating for hundreds of years because they were delivered from the great deliverer and at the hands or uh, at the oppression or from the oppression of the Egyptians hundreds of years before. From the hands of, of the Pharaoh, they were released because Moses was obedient and he was willing to sacrifice everything in order to see what God would have him accomplish. Here they are sitting, if you will, waiting upon the execution of Christ. This woman comes in who pours out this alabaster jar. That doesn't make sense. And Mark is letting us know that really none of this makes sense. Even by how he captures the story, he says we're in the home of Simon the leper. In other words, Mark is telling us as he records this gospel that he still sees Simon the way he used to be. Hold on a second. He's telling us, he's identifying Simon the leper based upon what he used to have, not what he has now. That'll preach. Here's Simon the leper who's been healed in the ministry of Jesus at some point in time. He's now opened up his home to Jesus, wanting to celebrate the goodness of Jesus, wanting to celebrate his, his own healing, if you will. And it only makes sense if God has done something to you that you want to open up and make more room for him to do a work through you. So here is Simon saying, come into the house, Jesus. Let's have a house party. Everybody say, party. Let's have this house party. Here's Jesus reclined at the table. But Mark is saying we're in the home of Simon the leper. In other words, he is still identifying him. He is still defining him by some past experience in his life. But how many of you know when you come to Christ, you are a new creation? But then I begin to think about that concept and I think, well, isn't that really how we define ourselves at times? By one moment in time? by one event that took place, by one tragic situation, that wreck, that divorce, that battle, that failure, that bankruptcy, that sickness, and pretty soon the bondage of what was becomes so overwhelming that it obscures what could possibly be. But I'm here to say to you today that you've got to continue to live the life that Christ wants you to live, even when it doesn't make sense. You've got to keep going. You've got to stop categorizing and characterizing your life based upon what was because God is about to do something new in your life. The Bible says that he who the Son set free, he is free indeed. The Bible says that he'll break the yoke and lift the burden. The Bible says that he will restore unto you what the locust has stolen. The Bible says that he breaks the bonds of sickness. He breaks the bondage of leprosy. He breaks the bondage of despair. He breaks 
breaks the bondage of sin. He breaks the bondage of all of the different things in your life that have come against you. Listen to me. Somebody ought to praise God. It's like the old hymn said, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Where's Tasha Cobbs when you need her? Break every chain. And she would sing. Hmm. Here they are in the home of Simon the leper. None of this is really making sense. And you know that the disciples are over in the corner saying, man, none of this makes sense. You know the disciples are like germaphobes. And they're telling one another, don't touch anything in here. He might be healed, but the disease might still be here. Don't touch a thing. Peter's over at the side. He's got a pork chop in his mouth. <laughs> Andrew's like, man, put the food down. Don't eat the food. And Mark is letting us know this doesn't make sense. We're in the home of Simon the leper. He still is defining him based upon some past experience, some event in his life where as now he's a new creation. And Mark can't wrap his brain around the fact that, that God has taken this shattered screen and turned it into a dream, a realized God dream. Let me illustrate this for you in a couple of ways while we continue to give you some context to the subject matter. About a year ago, Kim, she had her iPhone, her God phone, and she's always been rough on phones, and she had had this phone for a couple of months, and she drops the phone. When she drops the phone, it's now, she's got a shattered screen, blasphemy. screen's so shattered, it's, you know, it's like when you scroll your hand across the screen, it's so shattered that glass shards get stuck in your finger. It's one of those kinds, you know what I'm saying? Huh. But yet she'd only had the phone for a couple of months, and so she was like, I'm going to keep the phone. And, and she continued to use the phone, and she got used to looking through the shattered screen on the phone. <laughs> she could make sense of what was on the other side of the screen when no one else could. And one night she was at home and she was scrolling through Pinterest. And, and as she's going through Pinterest, all the ladies said, amen. She's scrolling through Pinterest and I heard an amen from a guy. That's okay if you're going through Pinterest. That's cool. She says, Mark, I want you to see this picture. And so she hands me her phone. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I couldn't make sense of the picture. All I could see is the shattered screen. I couldn't make sense of that picture. Nothing made sense to me. But, but I, I realized that she had grown accustomed to turning it a certain way, and she could see exactly what she needed to see. But it didn't make sense to me, Gary. And I began to think about our faith that way. How often do we live our lives based upon the shattered screen? And so this past... Sunday night, we had our annual business meeting where all the partners gathered together. Listen, if you're a partner at Epicenter Church, that's your opportunity to speak about the things that God is doing in our church. And we, we're celebrating what God is doing in our church. And we cast vision and we talk about the things that are to come. And we recap the last year. If you're not a partner, then you need to go through growth, growth track. If you've made this church your home, you ought to go a little deeper. And so we're having this meeting and 
We're recapping 2016. We're casting vision for 2017. And we're talking about all the things that God has done last year, all of the things that he's going to do. We're speaking prophetically for this year. And, 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 and so we're talking about all of those things. And then we begin to recap the last six years. Because today, Epicenter Church today is six years old. Everybody say happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Here we are having a house party and Jesus is in the house. So we're recapping everything that's happened over the last six years and talking about the audacious things that God has done in the growth and talking about the hundreds and hundreds of people who have come to this church and who have PCS'd and gone elsewhere, but yet this is where they found their faith in Jesus, and this is the epicenter of their faith, and now they're living for God in so many other areas, and all of the growth that's happened, and the people who are saved, and the people who are baptized, all of this cool stuff that is happening, and how we're just ministering to our community, and then we started to talk about the last 11 years, because today is also Kim and I's 11th anniversary as your pastors, and so we began to talk about those things, and and as we're talking about that, I, I begin to say, you know, our God has given us so much growth and so many incredible things have happened. And now we have, you know, 1,300 or so people who call the church home. And, 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 and I said, and I don't remember exactly where we came from, how we started or how all of that stuff transpired 11 years ago. I did remember, but I just didn't want to go into it. And, and all of a sudden, a man who was sitting kind of in this section right here who served on the board at that point in time, when I said, I don't remember how many people we really started out with, but it was, it was kind of broken. He said, I remember 87. The number 87. He said, 87 people. This week, I began to reflect upon that number, 87. I began to reflect upon that number, Mark, and all the things that God did 11 years ago. And, and without going into the history of the church, the church was in a broken state. The church was dying a slow death and had been dying a slow death for several years, maybe even 20 years. Couldn't pay its bills. No guest would come to the church. And if it rained on Sundays, there was more rain inside the building than there was outside of the building. I can remember one Sunday where I was preaching, and after church was over, I counted 26 buckets inside the worship center and down the hallway that was catching the rain that was pouring in. It had been dying a slow death. The mentor, my mentor, who preceded me for two years, he came in as an interim pastor trying to stabilize the ship, if you will. After two years of having an interim pastor, Kim and I answered the call of God to become your pastors, and, 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 and we began to instill and invoke this uphill climb, this battle to see the vision that God has for us. Great things are to come. Our best days are ahead. God's going to do some incredible things. And, man, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was standing up trying to speak prophetically, but in my spirit, I was like, I don't know. And my mentor came to me and he said, what do you think is the hardest thing about pastoring at this moment? What do you think is going to be your hardest thing? And I remember saying to him to convince the people not to see themselves the way they were or the way they are now, but to begin to believe for what God has for them. Be willing to sacrifice for what you will have because God is going to do an incredible work. I remember saying, I've got to keep people from focusing on 87. Stop thinking about all the brokenness and begin to focus on what God has called you to. Stop thinking about what you were so that you will 
so that you will be ready for what God has for you. Stop thinking about what was so that you'll be ready for what is and what will come. And listen, when, when all you can see is brokenness, Mark, that's a tough thing. How do you convince people that God is going to do something great when all you've experienced for years is, is brokenness? But, but that's what's happening in this passage. It doesn't make sense. And that's only one element of this passage. There's a smorgasbord of sermons in this passage of Scripture. And we haven't even gotten to the main character yet. The main character in verse 3, look at it. Let me show you something. Verse 3, 4, and 5, it says, While he was in Bethany, reclined at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came. Circle that. A woman came. Everybody say a woman. A woman came. Hmm. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. First off, you need to understand the alabaster jar was a family heirloom. It was something that had been handed down for years and years and years. It was a very precious item said she came with a very expensive perfume. The perfume also was worth one year's wages. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. We don't understand this. Here she's broken the jar, Jason, of, 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 of the perfume. She's shattered the jar. She's poured it on the head of Jesus. The aroma has now filled the room. And the disciples are like, this doesn't make sense. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you sacrifice such a thing? In fact, none of this stuff makes sense. We're in the home of a leper. That doesn't make sense. We're awaiting the execution of our Savior. That doesn't make sense. We're at a time called the Passover. And the people are waiting on the Messiah. And he He's been here for 33 years. That doesn't make sense. The woman being in the home with us during that day and age, age was not acceptable as, as far as culture was concerned. That doesn't make sense. Then she comes in, shatters an alabaster jar that's a family heirloom, pours out this expensive perfume that cost a year's wages. And now the disciples are like, this doesn't make sense. You see, something that you need to understand about that culture was when you came in, Jesse, as a guest... You were anointed or, 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 or just at least one drop of oil was placed upon your head. But here this woman has broke the whole entire jar, poured it out on the head of Jesus. It doesn't make sense. It's worth a year's wages. It just doesn't make sense. And so I try to place myself in the scene. When I'm reading a story like this, I try to get into the story. And so I'm in the house and I'm looking around at the house and I'm looking at all of the people who are there and the disciples are there. Peter's over in the corner. He's got the pork chop in his mouth. He's enjoying some Israeli collard greens. Mm-hmm. And here are the disciples saying, man, this doesn't make sense. The music is thumping in the background. Jesus all reclined at the table. None of this stuff, it doesn't make sense. And the aroma fills the room. It overcomes the smell of those Israeli collard greens. This expensive perfume has been poured out and the disciples are so upset. And they're, this, none of this makes sense. And Simon the leper's over in the corner going, man, this is so cool. Then I began to think, hold on a second. Isn't that really the image of our faith walk? Isn't it, a, 
isn't this a reenactment of our faith? It's like our hearts want to walk this faith journey, but our mind says, this doesn't make sense. Our hearts are, are believing for healing, but, but our minds are saying, it doesn't make sense. Our hearts are saying restoration in our marriage, but our minds are saying it doesn't make sense. Our hearts are saying we ought to tithe, but our minds are saying, hold on a second, we've got a bill due at the end of the month. Our hearts are saying, you know, we can believe God for incredible things. You know, even though we have 87, we're believing God for thousands of people, but your mind says you're 87 and broke. Am I preaching to myself? Well, then give me some help. <laughs> so here, this expensive perfume is this jar lays shattered on the floor. This is an expensive perfume that was so expensive that it was only reserved for nobility and kings. And the disciples are saying it doesn't make sense. And what that just tells you is that the disciples don't quite understand that the king of kings is in the cave. Mm. This is not a perfume that you can just go down to the local department store and grab. Like Juicy Couture. Or Cool Water if you're still living way back. Or Bring My Sexy Back or whatever it is you're wearing. Because the process to make this was so expensive and it took so long. The duration of the process was so long and so tedious. It came from India that it was reserved for kings. I could preach an entire message on another subject right here at this moment based upon this woman's extravagant sacrifice. And I think Jesus is using this opportunity to teach the disciples this. The disciples are talking about how much they love Jesus, but they're questioning this woman's sacrifice who also loves Jesus. It's almost like telling your spouse how much you love them, but then on their birthday you go and buy yourself a gift. Let's just see how far that gets you. What that says is that you love yourself more than you love them. Jesus is teaching a spiritual principle here. In fact, Jesus says that for where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. What Jesus is saying is, is that if you follow a man's money, you'll find the condition of his heart. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Some things in church just don't make sense. I mean, think about it. If you're a spectator in church, there are some things that just don't make sense. If you come to church, it just, sometimes it doesn't make sense that we got our hands up and down, hands up and down, hands up and down. Spiritual calisthenics. It's fun to sing your thought. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's fun to sing your thought. I'll let y'all work on that this week. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense when you see the offering plate come by and you see people who are, you know, putting money in. 
especially if you're not making that sacrifice, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for all the shouting that we do and all the praising that we do. And you're looking at your neighbor and you're like, you know all the difficulties in her life and you're seeing the brokenness in her life, but yet she can still praise God. And you're like, why in the world can't she? That just doesn't make sense. But all of a sudden, if one day you find yourself in a place that you can't make sense of and God shows up in his infinite goodness and begins to make a way when there seems to be no way, you'll lift your hands up and begin to praise a God. You'll begin to say, you're all that I need. You're all that I want. You're everything that I have to have. So my praise will always be, your praise will always be on my lips. I will continually praise you. I'll clap my hands. I'll shout unto you victory praise. It's at that moment that surrender and sacrifice make sense because you've experienced the goodness of God. But the disciples are over in the corner and nothing seems to make sense. They're like, this doesn't make sense. Why would this woman do that? They're complaining about the woman's sacrifice. I have to ask you a question. Sometimes we do the same thing when the opportunity of sacrifice comes, we complain about the opportunity. But when you realize all that God has already done for you, you can't consider it a sacrifice because everything that you are is the result of his hand. It's like the old preacher says, you cannot consider your doings a sacrifice when you consider all that he's already done for you. Good Lord, have mercy. So in the context of that thought, something about this woman this woman this woman Eleni must have experienced something from this savior she must have experienced something from this savior to make a sacrifice like this that does not make sense I began to think about this woman began to think about this woman and my mind was drawn to John chapter 12 because the gospel of John captures this story let me let me show you something the gospel of John chapter 12 it captures this story and gives us some of the details that Mark left out John chapter 12 tells us who this woman is John chapter 12, verse 1, tells us about this house party. Look what happens. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Hold on a second. Mary and Martha were there serving while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Stop reading. Don't read any further. It says, Lazarus was at the house party. Everybody know Lazarus? Lazarus was the dude that Jesus loved. But Lazarus was the dude that died and Jesus came back and resurrected him from the dead. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus telling him while he was preaching a revival in another city, you need to come because the one that you love is sick and he's going to die. But Jesus continued to preach. He showed up 
at Lazarus's house, Mary and Martha's house, days later. By that time, Lazarus was dead. But Jesus said, take me to the tomb, roll the stone away. And he spoke life into the darkness of a cave. And Mary and Martha came out and said, whoa, Jesus, don't do this because he's been dead for days. Jesus pushed them to the side and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. He'll make a way when there seems to be no way. He'll bring dead things back to life. So here you have Simon the leper who's opened up his house. Who's healed. Lazarus, who was dead, who's now alive. What a house party. But then look what happens in verse 3. It says, then, we're going to find out who this woman was. Then, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Hold on a second. Then there's Mary. Then there's Mary. There's Mary. She breaks the alabaster jar, this expensive heirloom. Then there's Mary. Hold on a second. Then there's Mary. This is the same Mary who was upset at Jesus because he didn't show up when he needed to show up so that Lazarus would have been healed. This is the same Mary who would not go out to greet Jesus because she was angry at Jesus because her brother had died. This is the same Mary who finally showed Jesus where the tomb was at. This is the same Mary who saw Jesus, called Lazarus out of the grave. This is the same Mary who said, all of this now may sense. I'm no longer going to look at the shattered screens because I believe the God dreams. I've seen a Savior heal. I've seen a Savior give. I've seen a Savior come. I've seen a Savior. Then came Jesus. Then came Jesus. And healing filled the place. She washed his feet with her hair because she said, how beautiful are the feet of those who brings good news. It was at that moment that the sacrifice made sense. Get on your feet, everyone. It was at that moment that the sacrifice made sense. I've seen something that, is, that the Savior has done. I cannot help but to pour out a blessing upon him because he's blessed me with more than I could have ever imagined. Let me read verses 6 through 8. We're going to close here briefly. Verses 6 through 8. Mark chapter 14, it says, Jesus said, leave her alone. This doesn't make sense. The disciples were saying, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Hmm. Hold on a second. Could it be that our sacrifice was never meant to make sense, but rather it was there to prove your faith? Hmm. Grab hold of that. Could it be the sacrifices never meant to make sense? But just to prove and build your faith. 
It doesn't make sense for the creator of the universe to become the created. It doesn't make sense for him to send his only son. It doesn't make sense for him to put on flesh. It doesn't make sense for him to serve us. It doesn't make sense for him to invest in 12 dudes and one of those dudes betray him. It doesn't make sense for him to die a cruel death on a cross for something that he did not do. It doesn't make sense for him to walk out of a tomb called the resurrection day. Come on, it doesn't make sense, but he did it all in hopes that we would realize our shattered screens can become realized dreams. Can I finish this? Can I finish this? In verse 8, it says, Jesus said, she did what she could. It says she did what she could. Hold on a second. This is deep. That phrase, she did what she could, it means in the Greek, it's, it's actually this word, kalos. It means that she did a lovely thing. It's one of the strongest words that can be used to describe an event that is so overwhelmingly beautiful. (laughs) She did what she could. She did a lovely thing. I have to ask this question. When was the last time you did a lovely thing for Christ? When was the last time that you did a lovely thing for Christ? You see, because you cannot embrace the house party without your participation in the sacrifice. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Hold on a second. We're all wanting God to do something for us. God, we need you to do a beautiful thing. But maybe God is waiting upon you to do a beautiful sacrifice. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We're all wanting God to show up in our lives. But maybe God is waiting on you to open up the door so that you can sacrifice to him and surrender to him so that he can do everything that he needs to do in your heart but so that he can change everything that's happening in your life. Good, Lord. What I'm trying to say is that there were all kinds of people at this party, all kinds of people at this party, but most of them did not break into to praise even though a praise service had broke out most of them were worried about what did not make sense so they missed an opportunity to praise God what I'm trying to tell you today is make your life a living sacrifice of praise give God praise when it doesn't make sense give God praise when you cannot give give God praise when you don't feel like serving give God praise and forgive when you don't feel like forgiving give God praise and serve when you don't feel like serving give God praise and go when you don't feel like going break the alabaster jar pour it on the feet of Jesus come on somebody give him a praise come on give him a sacrifice of praise in this place let me show you something verse 9 I'm going to close with this but verse 9 it says truly I tell you Jesus says wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world what she has done will always be told in memory of her. You know what that tells us? He's telling us that that's the way the gospel is supposed to be lived. Mm, through sacrifice. Lord have mercy. When was the last time that you did something beautiful for Jesus Christ?